I'm Nalaya Chakana, and you're listening to the Dare to Love podcast. The Dare to Love podcast is the place where we get naked and have a real conversation. So welcome, Nikki. It's really a pleasure to have you on again. Yeah, it's almost like we're just chatting as girlfriends and somehow it's being recorded. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to deepen our conversation regarding love and specifically what it means to be free in a committed long-term relationship with your soul partner. Because, you know, if whoever has listened to our previous episode about attracting your soulmate and what it requires like what is that resonance that you need to be in knowing what you want and being able to let it all go and stepping into that trust that magnetizes because you are secure within yourself and grounded and however once you do actually manifest your soulmate it's a very big deal like i think you use the words ego shattering and I think that that is really exact, <laughs> exactly what I would use as well, like ego shattering. Like it is some part of you will need to die in order to fuse into that unity, especially as very independent women. And I think that that is something not fully understood. Like a part of me even wonders if some part of the inability to understand that a part of you has to die when you step into a relationship um, is part of the cause why certain relationships don't work or end up failing um yeah so let's dive into it um you're gonna tell your story I'll tell a little bit about my story and through storytelling um share some of the wisdom that can either be helpful for listeners who are single anticipating their soulmate or for those who are in a in a long-term relationship and are somehow struggling to really enter that state of ease where in your body, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, you can feel the unity and not in a clingy, dependent kind of way, but really in an interdependent flow of we are a team in mm-hmm. love. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I love it. For those who didn't listen to the previous episode, maybe you quickly want to just introduce yourself, uh, bleh, yourself and take mm-hmm. it from there. Yeah. So my name is Nikki Ananda. I am a coach in intimacy, uh, self-empowerment, somatic sex education, sacred sexuality. Like my work is all around the realms of feminine mysteries and sacred union. And for me, this was most grounded in understanding how to take my very strong masculine inner parts of self into union with my own feminine energy. And from that work that I did on myself, and that's like the work that I guide most women in into is to creating that harmony of understanding how to put their masculine in right relationship with their feminine and allow their feminine to actually lead. It was doing that work in myself and guiding my clients into that work that allowed me also to be a match for calling in a partner that reflected what was the inner union as well. Yeah. So one of the big pieces of my work... Um, the foundation, my very first coaching program that I ever birthed was conscious menstruation. And it was all around like the four phases of creation. And I'm from New England and we have very strong, like defined seasons. So seasonal archetypes has always been like a big part of my work and my like soul's evolution. And I think the biggest breakthrough I had in the relationship journey, like my aha moment was probably a year ago when I realized that Oh, relationships have seasons. 
And then I felt myself being very freed from the same, you know, it was like when I found conscious menstruation and like cyclical alchemy and started doing this work, I felt freed from these um, more masculine, hierarchical, force-driven structures that I was running my life with and found myself more in that cyclical flow of allowing myself to, um, you know, go through the four phases of like being in that winter, that reflective space coming into the spring, the renewal, like that virginal playful energy, the summer, the solar, the full throttle and autumn, which is my favorite, which is like all of the destruction and letting go of what doesn't serve to create space for what's to come. So I knew these seasons in and out. And when I realized that relationships also cycled through seasons, it was like, the whole standard of having a relationship on a pedestal collapsed, which was probably the biggest hindrance that I carried into my relationship when it started, when I met Troy, my partner. Um, But it was something that like, I understood that I was putting relationships on a pedestal, which is something women do. Like, I think for men, um, the way that I've heard this articulated is like men put their woman on the pedestal and women put their relationship on the pedestal. So there's always something to fall at some point or another, which would be part of the ego death. So for me, when I came to the embodied realization that all relationships go through cycles and it's not meant to be this linear, perfect journey of coming into more perfection and more perfection, but actually letting parts of it die and be reborn, like that was the key to coming into liberation in my partnership, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So I say this because it's like the work that I was doing, all this work that I focused on on myself and the work that I did with my clients, it was like taking it as like the micro and bringing it into the macro and the partnership and the same laws we're applying. Same laws. No, I really love that because me too. In my early 20s, I started with, uh, yeah, my focus was on menstrual um, health, womb connection, sacred sexuality for women and fertility, hormonal alignment. And me too. I made a course about the seasons. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah I think so that's why we're here together especially our generation like we somehow unfortunately had to disconnect completely from our cycle and it's exactly what you say you know um like the healing to, to come back to understanding these cycles honoring them I mean there I know even women who teach other women how to use their cycle in business I mean I never consciously did that but I think naturally when you are super super connected to the accuracy of knowing when to anticipate your moon coming or knowing exactly when your ovulation is coming but yeah a lot of people a lot of women sorry they strive to always be in the ov- ovulation phase of like heightened energy super sparkly super inspired but there's such a beauty such a beauty to letting things die contemplate becoming more inward and now that you've said it no like I really see this in in my relationship with Ruan Um, I mean our journey has been a little different because we got pregnant after five months of being together and so the initiation wasn't just into our relationship but also both of us had to shed our previous identities because that's what naturally happens when you become pregnant it's like a preparation of what's to come But now that we're already parents for a year, I can see like, oh, yeah, that's probably another cycle of four seasons to arrive where we are now in a new understanding and a new fertility almost of um, the foundation that we stand on. No, because that's essentially what autumn and winter do, like they fertilize the ground and um, it strengthens us because we have allowed each other to go through depression even through complete disconnect, uh, losing our minds (laughs) and all of these things that require, you know, because hopefully 
partners don't go through uh, very deep processes at the same time. Unfortunately, Ruwan and I did go through almost like the depth of darkness within uh, our own personal journeys right at the same time this was like when we were transitioning from thailand to mexico which in itself is already like a whole you know big boom <laughs> and on top of that we were both like so inward so much death happening within no like in the subtleties of certain programmings of certain thought patterns of certain ancestral ties because we were still shifting into our new form of what it means to be a mother and what it means to be a father and then I guess that that was our autumn we went through a silent period of the winter and here we are in the spring where we're celebrating the fact that we have been able to hold space for each other and for ourselves and have the patience and that's something that I talk to not just with Ruan but with my girlfriends where it's like wow I, I, I it, it saddens me I have to say that people aren't as patient with their beloved anymore it's like, oh, someone's confused about their path or their purpose. That doesn't mean that they're in, immature or confused in general or ungrounded as almost like a part of their personality. It's like, no, no, we all get to freaking be confused sometimes and we have to lose ourselves. The losing yourself part, I do feel like comes from um, our feminine side, whether we are a man or a woman. The feminine has to lose herself. And I feel like there's something in the fragility of allowing that, entrusting that, and not needing to do anything to fix that, that will allow, allow a new part of you to rise or a new part of the relationship to rise. So maybe you can hook into that. Yeah, I think, um, well, you and I have very different relationship journeys. Um, so yeah, so for context, when I started working with Nalaya, it was right when she was beginning the transition to be um, moving to Thailand, right? Is that where you were going straight from? Yeah, so straight to Thailand. Yeah, so you actually watched me go from Peru to Holland. I remember yes. every video call yes. we had was like a different setting. I remember <laughs> even sitting in, on the bedroom floor of my girlfriend's <laughs> I was trying to get my visa for Thailand, but the borders were locked. And then, yeah, our last sessions were in Thailand. Right, right. And then our very first podcast, you said, was two years ago. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, about breasts. About breasts. (laughs) Yeah, so check out that episode, too, because it's so good. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so, it's even trippy just to be here having this conversation with you two years later. So, for context... Um, so if you didn't listen to the last episode, which you should, because it's amazing, um, right after I worked with Malaya for four months first to doing her dare to love program one-on-one. And it was right at the completion of doing that work that I met my beloved. That's when Troy came into my life. So I ended up working with Nalaya for a couple months after that because I needed support and just like grounding into, okay, I'm in the relationship, but like, what do I do here? Like, what am I doing here? And just calibrating. But at the same time, she had just moved in with her beloved. So there was a calibration too. So it's like her and I were on these like uh, same pace journeys of landing in with our beloveds. And obviously um, you went on to become a mother and my journey with Troy. So Troy and I are choosing to not have babies. It's just like something we're both not interested in. And he came with a vasectomy, which was like a dream for me. It was like really my nervous system was like, oh, this isn't even like it's just so good. So good. 
But the way that Troy and I navigated our relationship and the things that had to play out was we we have been on and off for like the first year and a half. So it wasn't until October that we really landed in the union frequency. And even a couple months ago, we got to like the second tier of like the new level of intimacy and union. But before that, even though we both desired so strongly to be with each other, there was so much of our ego that was getting in the way. And for our journey, the ego deaths came through breakups. Like that's what would happen. One of us would um, run. One of us would run. And it was a very interesting journey. And there's so much in this. So when it comes to like getting lost, it was like right before the pandemic, I had just lost my cat and I had just found my biological mom. So like big things were happening in my reality. But I had always been bound to where I was living because of, um, you know, working. I had like a caregiving job at one point, having my cat, I couldn't travel too much. So when the pandemic started, I was free for the first time to start journeying, to start nomading. And what Troy does for work, he works on film, so he travels for work. So what I got to do was for the first time, I got to start really expressing my freedom and my capacity to travel around and take my work with me and be with this man. So for me, like the loss that was happening was very conscious of like a loss of a past past version of myself. And Troy awakened in me the reclamation of like this freedom that I really, my soul was just ready to embody. So even when we broke up, <clears throat> what was ignited in me at that point was this new sense of freedom. And that's when I started to really nomad on my own until we got back together. So I don't know where to segue from this. I mean, there's so many nuances in the ways that we broke up. And I can say too that, you know, I think there's a lot of distortions in polarity teaching, so I don't want to get into it too much, but it's like the feminine energy is always going to guide the relationship like 100%. So the woman really is responsible for what she's bringing in because it's going to shape the essence of where we're going. And the post that I wrote on that you commented not too long ago was about there was a part of me that would always desire more from my partner. And there was a way that I was projecting this on him to make it seem like he wasn't enough. And this is the same like money, sex, power. It's all the same thing. Like I was looking at it from one angle, which was saying like, I want more, which must mean he's not enough. But all I had to do was pivot and see that I have so much and I want more. And that changed the dynamics of our relationship fully because instead of putting this deficit on him and on the partnership or instead of ripping the partnership off the pedestal, it became more of this, like how can I allow my desire to lead the relationship, to shape the relationship? And when I started to acknowledge my responsibility in that, which was an ego death in itself, because here I am like killing off the victim that is victim of the circumstances and really claiming my power to help infuse the relationship of what I desire. Cause that was the other piece. It's like, if there's something lacking in the relationship, I'm responsible for bringing it. Like that was a whole ego death piece where it's like, well, I'm actually not entitled to demand these energies from my partner. I'm the one that's like designed to create them. So it was only when I started to work through that, that's when Troy and I really synced into that union frequency and we burned off. Like that's the thing too, with every breakup, we were burning off our past traumas, like our inner child wounds, like everything was just burning off at hyperspeed. Because even though I did all the work with you to prepare for the partnership, there were certain things that you can only heal in relationship. And I maybe I was a bit naive. And I think we all have to be a little bit naive as the dreamer to think like it's going to be easy once we get there. But then once we get in, it's like the challenges we face, like there's no way we could have been prepared for them because we had no context to understanding what the challenges would look like inside the relationship. 
So if you want to, would you like to share with us um, a little bit more personal detail as to why you broke up and what your personal experience was to come back the first time or the second time? Because you're really hitting on a spot of trust, which is so essential. And I think that that is what makes people sometimes scared to open up. So the fact that you did that multiple times with the same person, I think is very fascinating. So are you, yeah. yeah? Yeah, totally. Okay. Oh, all right. So we broke up maybe like three solid times. So one time that stands out, that's really important. Um, So foundationally, what's interesting to understand about me and Troy <laughs> is I am very rooted in my spirituality. I'm very clear in my communion with spirit and the ways that I navigate in this world. Troy grew up in like a very culty Christian upbringing where he was disillusioned by spirituality and religion and totally disregarded all of it and believed that um, spirituality was like cute and poetic, but it wasn't true necessarily. And most of the time it was just like gimmicks to sell things because that's what he witnessed and the corruption of what it was. So right off the bat, I really set myself up <laughs> to be in partnership with someone when I identify as a priestess. But that was probably the first ego death was like even just not even using that word anymore. It's like, well, I don't need this word. Like it's not, it doesn't define me. It's one word to describe who I am and my connection to spirit and work. But if it's going to trigger him, I don't, I don't need this word. Like it's whatever. But that actually was a part of losing myself because me taking away that word and me not identifying with that did create a, a bit of gap between me and my purpose. Not huge, but enough that it was like, I, I abandoned myself. Like I definitely did some big self-abandonment work there because I believe that I could make that sacrifice and it wouldn't harm me because I know who I am. And if it triggers him, da, 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 all the stories. So that was like a sacrifice that I made in the relationship. And I don't believe that we're meant to make sacrifices personally. I don't think there's ever a need to give up anything. I think there's always a solution where we can come together in a way that's maybe compromising, but not sacrificing. So that was like the beginning of our relationship. So one of the times we broke up, it was um, about like eight months in, nine months in, and my grandmother was passing and there were so many other things happening, but like the pressure of all of it, like he couldn't handle it. And it was like so much happening at once. And I finally just had the courage to be like, all right, we can't do this anymore. And we were both in agreement, um, but it was... Yeah, it was like watching watching us die over the period of like two weeks and then finally being like, yeah, we can't do this. And this is the second time we broke up. What ended up happening? So this is like one of the more magical times. So I'll say that every time we broke up, Troy has gone through a dark night of the soul and been reborn. Like that's what happens. We break up. He goes through um, a dark night of the soul. And then we come back together because we're both in a new state of being. So what ended up happening was we were supposed to go on this vacation together. But since we broke up, he went on his own and he ended up taking mushrooms when he was at this place by himself. And he ended up getting stuck in this loop. And I think actually it was a couple of weeks later and we hadn't talked um, that whole time. So I get a call at one in the morning from him and I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> like what is happening? So we jump on the call. And one of the things that I do professionally is psychedelic integration work. I do psychedelic work with people. So he called me up because he needed support through this. And I was the person he could call. So I ended up on the phone with him for probably like four or five hours, like really guiding him through this trip. And that was the first time he saw me in my priestess energy doing like all the energetic and high level work that I do. And he got to experience it. 
So in that moment, there was like this huge opening for connection that we had because I was seen, first of all, for the first time, but it took this like psychedelic experience to break us down and have this like really divinely orchestrated situation happen. So the afterglow of that, he wanted to get back with me. And I was like, you're still in the afterglow. Like a few days later, I'm like, I don't trust this. I don't trust our energy. And then a couple of days after that, he started pulling back. I could feel him pulling back. I was like, do not ever reach out to me until you have all of this figured out. I'm done with this. No back and forth. Da, 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 da. So what ended up happening was I ended up in Hawaii for four months. And two months in, I get an email from him. And the email... I didn't, I didn't read it right, right away. I waited. So we hadn't talked for a couple of months. I got the email. I ended up reading it a couple of days later and meeting me out in Hawaii. He was between jobs and he came and we stayed together for two months and we thought it would be us getting back together. But instead I had to sit with my reflection of myself and all of the ways that I had abandoned myself in that relationship so as much as I thought it was like, okay, he's ready. He's done all this work because I should say that too. So he started working with a coach. He started to do really deep self-introspection work. He started setting new work goals. Like he really started to flip his life around after his uh, psilocybin journey and our breakup. Things started to really shift. So for me, I was so excited to see him in this energy. Um, when we got in person together, I was very surprised to see that where I was, was in deep embodied anger to myself for all the ways that I had abandoned myself in our relationship for the last year. So it became evident all the ways that I was making myself small. I wasn't being honest about like what I'm here to do, what I'm passionate about, who I am. And I had to really confront all of that. So it would come out kind of towards him, but not really. And his role for me in that time was to hold space for me to process the anger, which is like the most anchored masculine space, like a masculine pillar he could have been in. And he was great and he was compassionate and he was forgiving. And he also needed to witness that. He needed to witness internally what I had gone through in order to make him comfortable or make us comfortable, which was never healthy, never healthy. But it was, it was part of our journey. It was part of, it wasn't new, right? It's like, my core wound is the abandonment wound. I was adopted when I was an infant. So all I do is abandon myself throughout my life. And it's all about finding the small ways that I had patterned myself to abandon myself. So this was really this magical, pivotal moment in my life where I got to rewire that and really sit for two freaking months in the intense pain it is to abandon myself and to really feel it and be held and witnessed by him. So we didn't get back together right after that. We tried to get back together. The chemistry wasn't there. And when I told him the chemistry wasn't there and I left, um, he snapped. He snapped and he went through another dark night of the soul because he finally was allowing himself to tap into the anger that he was so afraid to feel because his dad was an angry person. And under that anger was his passion, was all of his life force. So it was another dark night of the soul. And from that moment on, after I left this time, igniting his anger, he started pursuing me relentlessly, relentlessly, relentlessly. And I was done. Like I was dating other people at this point. I was like, there's no way we have tried this so many times. There's, there's no way I'm coming back to this. So what ended up happening, <laughs> which is so funny because it's been a journey. So it was like a year and a half into this journey with him. And I talked to him right before I go to Egypt in the fall. And 
I'm in Egypt and I'm on the Nile and I'm like deathly ill, like deathly ill, like fever, migraine, chills, like every, like I'm like dying on the Nile and I have no one that I can call. I knew if I called my mom, she would panic. And that's like not an option except for Troy. So I end up calling him. He stays on the phone with me for eight hours and something happened. Like we just clicked in and we calibrated and I saw all of my ego just die. Like all the ways that I was resisting him from being close into my world completely shattered because of my physical state. And I, he stepped into his masculine so much after I left the last time while he was embodying his anger and tapping into his passion that like at this point when my resistance dropped, he was able to step in and anchor in. So he came back into my life at that point. That was in October. And since then it was like, I kept an eye on it. The first weeks, like every week was just getting better and better and better. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, we're like, we're doing this. Like we're, we're no longer two independent people creating a life together. Like we're in that union frequency, really merging our energies, like being in life together, doing life together. Wow. That's such a beautiful, powerful story. What I can really feel is that, you know, there's a particular balance that you were after, which I call eye to eye, heart to heart. Um, and it's not equality because we, we come with different energies to build the foundation together. But it it does sound that because you're somehow tapped into um, different worlds that are very complementary, you somehow had to witness each other in the fullest expression of your own power, in like in guidance and assistance to the other in order to... Yeah, to see these deeper layers and to also understand through the experience, right? Because that's what it often requires. Like, yeah, yeah, you can talk stories and share what you do in your work, but the fact that he was in a position where he needed you, and then later you were in a position where you needed him, it's so beautiful. It gives me goosebumps. And it also somehow reminded me of this part of the journey with the one that I don't think of so much because it's almost like the pre-relationship um, aspect of us. Uh because, yeah, I mean, we met four years before we got together, but the thing that allowed us to break the ice was during a podcast episode where he invited me on as a guest. And it's really interesting because we were both in the same exact spot in our lives where we had enough dating people where we couldn't fully merge and we couldn't fully freely express all of ourselves and know that we're here to grow together. And so he invited me actually for the topic of uh, conscious celibacy to use that in a way to clear out uh, old energies from ex-partners. And there was something, because like that was the, the full, you know, the full, everything that I was focused on at the time with there, the love, with my company, with everything. So I was fascinated to actually go deeper into it with him after the interview ended. And so I suggested us to do sessions with each other. It was partially flirtatious, but it was partially just because I have a fascinating, partially because I have a fascination, <laughs> tripping over this word, fascination mm -hmm. for patterns in relationship and what it requires to break them. And I was fascinated by him. Like I, I honestly, I was intrigued. I wanted to get get to know him better, not because I wanted to be in a relationship with him, but mainly because I wanted to get to know him. But that was almost like us practicing holding space for each other, allowing 
us to not only be in a position of guiding the other, because that part is actually quite easy, but to be in a position where you allow yourself to completely fall apart. I mean, I had sessions where my eyes were so swollen, I couldn't stop crying, you know, because I was hitting on places and it wasn't, you know, reflecting back, it wasn't even for me so much about the topic that we were uncovering for me, but it was the fact that I was falling in love with this gorgeous, super masculine man who was holding space for me and allowing myself to be in that position, perhaps for the very first time in my life. And in during, okay, so we started mm, session exchanging, but already I think it was the second session where Ruan broke the ice and he was like, I'm falling in love with you. I can't stop thinking about you. I've always been attracted to you. And I felt exactly the same. So we continued doing those sessions initially um, while also constantly being on the phone and sending messages up and down to just share about our lives and our perspectives and our values. And somehow I'm really, really grateful for that period because there was no sex, there was no touching, there was no interference that sometimes blinds us or distracts us or makes us want to do things in certain ways that nature wants to direct in a, us in a different direction. Um, but I really felt in that time, as far as how much we can actually prepare for the real thing, I felt like we were helping each other to prepare because we very much focused on um, releasing old patterns from previous partnerships. And those are things that usually we take into the new relationship, regardless of the work that we do, certain patterns, certain deeper layers of the patterns that we work on, right? Because there's nothing against doing deep uh, introspective work, shamanic work, rituals, tantric work, like all of that I think is super, super, super important. And to also just be ready, like, okay, there's going to be deeper layers of the things that you're already aware of that are simply going to come out because the fragility of the heart that, you know, that you get to experience when you really truly fall in love with your soulmate um, allows us to, first of all, have the vulnerability to be able to access it, but also simultaneously that place in the heart is the power that will allow you to transcend it. So somehow you have to come together in order to move beyond it. But yeah, that period, I really felt like, wow, we broke open certain barriers and certain walls that allowed us to be in these positions that you're describing, kind of had you guys had to go through that for a, a year and a half before you could step into that union. But yeah, there's something really powerful and beautiful of, of, of being able to do that together um, because yeah, it was ego shattering and also very liberating. And similar to you guys, I also feel like I come with a lot more um, spiritual understanding or that is the place where I feel most at home. But at the same time, I don't think I would want to be with a man who sees the world in exactly the same way because I am quite airy, even though I'm very grounded in my air, I am very airy. I'm very connected to the invisible, to the auditorial, you know, it's like all energy for me. And I see that, you know, I came to Thailand, I wasn't grounded there, not in the culture, not in the country, not in community. And Ruan was my rock, he was my tree, he was deeply rooted, he was my safe haven of grounding, and he's continued to be that. Uh, because up until now, we haven't been grounded. And the fact that he, I see him as like a natural, like naturally connected to his spirituality, like his connection to his dreams, for example. He saw our daughter before she was even born, before we even kissed, he saw her. Um, 
And yet he's skeptical. So he wants to question everything, but a little bit similar, but different to you. Um, I wouldn't say I abandoned those aspects of myself, but I do feel that there was somehow a part of me that felt like I had to balance myself out in order for us to meet each other more. And then recently we had a day of ceremony because, I mean, this is one thing that I do very much love about him. Whenever I feel like it's time for a ritual, for ceremony, for aligning our intentions, whether it's for ourselves or, um, you know, for the relationship at large, he's super open to to do like blood blood offering and sperm offering, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, these kind of things. But recently we took plant medicine and we went on a deep, beautiful journey of falling in love again. Mm. and realigning ourselves Mm -hmm. so in that ceremony what i brought up right from the beginning as we set our intention for the journey is that i i miss the medicine woman in me and i kept her alive in the ways that i could but i wasn't supported by the community in thailand in that way like of course i met beautiful people but i'd come from five years in a medicine community in peru like that was the reality everyone was living in and i started to miss her so i kept her alive through prayer through rituals through offerings through music but i told him like no i, I want her to come back stronger and it was beautiful because he is very much attracted to that part of me as much as i am attracted to his grounded wave being And I think that that, when we allow ourselves to have parts of worlds that don't necessarily um, are the same, but to recognize, no, no, this is actually our power, no, like how we fuse. But sometimes, like you say, no, it requires one person to think that they need to balance out, level out for the other person to give too much or the other to take too much or whatever. And then to rebalance again in the opposite way to then kind of recreate and this takes seasons, right? I would say it took us two full years of complete, you know, summer to winter to autumn and spring cycles to recognize like, oh yeah, let's do this differently. And I bet throughout the journey of us being together, we're going to cycle through it again and again. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I have never wanted to date a man like in said spiritual conscious community, right? It's like, I always knew that was my strength. Like I knew where, like, and and in the way, so I want to say this too. It's like when in those parts of me that abandoned, say like the priestess essence in me, I abandoned it in the relationship. So what ended up happening was it was like I was living a double life. And that's what ended up separating us was my, because at the same time that our relationship began, my business started taking off in a new direction. So both the, and that makes sense, right? Like I was in like the fertility of all of the things. So like new relationship, business growth, all the growth. So as my business is so obviously deeply rooted and um, ceremony and feminine embodiment and everything around like sacred sexuality and, and spirituality, it felt like for me, I I intellectualized it. Like I could have my business be the place where that gets nourished and in, in our relationship, it gets to be in me and I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to bring it in. But what to me, this ended up looking like in hindsight was just like another layer of like the witch wound. And now I'm based like very close to Salem Mass. Anytime I've tried to move away, it's like I keep getting karmically pulled back here. So the witch wound is something that I'm very actively working on healing in, in a lot of different ways. It comes up. It's something I work on myself and with the people I work with. 
So what I saw was this was just another expression of the witch wound of not wanting my partner to fully see me because it could be a risk. I could make him feel unsafe. I could become unsafe. And like there was an energetic pattern with that that felt it was subconscious, but it felt very real. So when I when we broke up and when we came back together, because he saw me and my power and my magic and like my medicine womanhood and now him seeing me and fully embracing me in that light. Now I had to see the parts of myself that abandoned that aspect of me to be with him and process from there. But after that was all integrated, you know, because I always, I wouldn't have been with him. I wouldn't have connected with him if I didn't see he was connected to spirit. He doesn't use the language. He doesn't use the words. He doesn't communicate in the same way, but he navigates life so intuitively. He prioritizes like beauty and expansion like his spiritual principles are there grounded like we're compatible in that way and his commitment to self-growth and self-actualization is so stable though he doesn't speak the common like spiritual language quote unquote so i think what happens is like there's so many women that i talk to that desire to have this like spiritual equal partner and they're making him look a certain way And like, this is what it is. And the only reason that Troy and I are where we are is because we were so different, but we had these common virtues or values, like at the anchor point of caring about our self-growth, caring about prioritizing our own evolution, our own hearts, prioritizing things like beauty and adventure. And that's what's allowed this to be the most spiritual relationship is just having that common ground. So I think in that too, there's a common ego death where it's like letting go of what we think it should look like to have the spiritual union, because there's like so much expansion when we can come to another person from two different corners of the world and integrate that in wholeness. Like that's, that's the true expansion. That's the true power. Like you were saying. So I kind of want to jump back into the topic of sacrifice because I believe we're talking about the same thing, but we're using different words. Mm. Um, I had to go really deep into the resonance of what the sacrifice mean. So the root of the word actually means to make sacred. And mm. this is why sacrifice is integrated, you know, throughout history of ancient civilizations, uh, shamanic rituals, that will always be a part of, um, dedicated to sacrifice or offering, offering to me is just a synonym. And sacrifice, to me, it's like, you know, the ego death that we talk about, like there are certain patterns. uh, For me, it was very ancestral, like ancestral patterns that came up that I couldn't touch before pregnancy, um, before birthing, even during birth, there were things coming out of my hips. (laughs) I was connecting to the knowledge that came out of my hip socket. Um, and now I'm doing belly dance, so I'm re- like I'm, I'm going deeper and deeper into that wisdom. Um, but after giving birth, yeah, there were very strong emotional expressions that felt very out of control. Part of it, you know, you could rationalize and say like, oh, you know, a woman goes through all kinds of um, emotional, uh, sorry, hormonal swings that will make her, you know, have these emotional outbursts. But it's it's a very shamanic initiation. It's like going into puberty right? Something realigns, you step into your maturity, but for a decade, you're kind of navigating these waters. And the same happens when you decide to become a parent. And um, I did have to sacrifice aspects of me, similar probably to you, but in a different context, right? Where a part of your previous self has to die. 
a part of the way that you used to navigate things have they have to be sacrificed onto the sacred fire onto the altar onto you know however you want to approach it but i do feel like it will be interesting for us to dive a little bit deeper into what this means simply because i see that perhaps in the past and maybe this was actually part of the beginning of your journey with troy uh, the reason or part of the reason i mean you can reflect on it onto this better but maybe some aspect of your uh, and him both not wanting to sacrifice something didn't allow you guys to click and maybe the journey with the one and i was a little different because we were ready for parenthood this is what we wanted kailani came um and she and our family um basically motivate us both no to like keep growing keep seeing like what is preventing us from really um being in this place of, of unity and for myself i see that okay i had some ancestral shit to deal with which if i had to say what the essence of it was i suppose i can see it in my mother i can see it in my grandmother and likely it is it was there in the generations before where the role of the woman was defined in a certain way and she wasn't necessarily free. Um, and what was demanded of her made her need to cross certain boundaries of her own needs for the sacrifice. And here I'm using it in the negative context, which is why I had to go so deep into this energy because I knew the life I'd led as an individual, very free woman, the personality I have, the wisdom I carry, the needs to share what I know, and to keep creating also for my own being, not just um, serving my family. Like I'm very much uh, learning how to balance that. Right now I'm in the ultimate state of balance where I can create my projects and I can create life and I can nourish my family and I can nourish myself. Like I'm quite impressed by myself, but I had to go through this journey of losing my mind, uh, having to face my ultimate fear, which is becoming a wallflower, kind of blending in with the wallpaper, not having an opinion, not having preferences, kind of just being this woman that is the glue that connects it all, but never the one who is recognized or respected for what she gives, even though without her, everything would fall apart. Uh, so that was my fear. Now that I had to go through, I had to face, I had to feel the feelings of my mother and my grandmother and the mother of my grandmother, probably, um, that never, they never had the space to actually move through these processes. And I, and I can feel that it's in the bones, right? It's, it's locked in there. So anyway, I had to liberate myself through that. And probably there's going to be more layers of this topic that are going to come up um, throughout my journey of motherhood. But I'm doing this work so that Kailani is going to be more free in the way that she's going to navigate her womanhood. Um, but anyway, yeah, I had to struggle and fight with what sacrifice means. I had to go to the root of that vibration, which is to make sacred and see that, no, there's a beauty in the things I've needed to let go to, which honestly, if I'm really honest, were more like attachments to aspects of my previous ego formation, my identity that I had constructed so well that allowed me to stay in control and those things had to be sacrificed so that I became more fluid because I constantly need to I mean I feel all my family members all the time no Ruan and Kailani there's going to be another baby coming so right now I'm like three people then I'm going to be four people and it's this beauty of like how can I stay sensitive and open all the time 
recognizing that I can, that I can feel her process. I can feel my husband's process. I can feel my own process. And honestly, I have entered this pool of abstract in the past where I'm so lost in feeling that I don't even know who I'm feeling and what's happening for whom and what I'm supposed to do and how to ask for my needs. But there is a beauty in entering that complete chaos so that I can learn from it and learn to navigate it better. Like I don't think anyone is initiated into the process of becoming a mother. And I'm just using motherhood as almost like a symbolic reference because I do believe that this is what happened to you as well. And you had to lose yourself and enter that state of chaos to resurrect from it um, through that sacrifice to, to then navigate it in a more mature way. And the things I had to let go of, I don't miss at all. Like I'm actually proud that I have had the willingness, the motivation, and the mostly to just look at myself and look at the parts that through that previous constructed identity, I was able to hide from almost. And now we're pushed in my face in ways that I couldn't escape from. And through the fatigue and certain things that come with uh, the initiation into parenthood, there was no defense anymore. And so that's my reflection on sacrifice. And I would love to hear more from you. Mm-hmm. I love this. I like, I want to start using the word sacrifice or saying sacrifice with a capital S to bring the sacred back into that. I think that's a way that that feels resonant in my body because there is so much sticky connotation around the word sacrifice. Like it's a bad thing. And like the difference between, so one of my elders would teach me, like say the difference between a giving and an offering when it comes to like, say fire ceremony or giving or offering to the earth is an offering is always going to hurt. An offering is always going to be a piece of your heart. So it should, you should feel it when you're letting it go versus a giving is just like releasing excess, whatever, (laughs) or like releasing something. So with that, like understanding like sacrifice as an offering, it's like the part of you that that it's connected to your heart and letting that go to create like a, a space for something new to come in through the freshness of that, like tender heart. Um, I don't want to say broken or wounded, but like raw, like the rawness that's created after the sacrifice. So yeah, you know, I think so many of us, especially as women who are more dominant and like their airy masculine energy (laughs) are, (laughs) are going to want to try to control try to um, manipulate and not in a malicious way, but manipulate in a way that means control and strategize the way that we develop intimacy with our partners and even strategize like our ego deaths. Like I think there's ways that if we're highly intellectual and we know a lot of things, we feel like we can prepare ourselves and we actually spend a lot of mental energy on mapping out what it can look like to create this intimacy. But when we're doing that, we're in that masculine energy and we're not actually open and receiving the true path to what it is to come into more union. So life is going to initiate us again and again and again. And depending on how stubborn our minds are, you know, it's like for Troy, it was he got put into this spin out with psilocybin that had him reaching out to me and me stepping in. For me, it was getting like, debilitatingly sick, like really feeling like I could die on the Nile (laughs) in Egypt, like so far away from home that had me crack open. But there's little ways too. And, um, and, you know, I think this piece too, of like facing your fears. So one of the things, and this just kind of clicked in while we, while you were speaking, that's really interesting. 
So I was adopted and I found my biological family like by accident online, my father's side first. And then my biological mother was like a miracle because they weren't together. It's like, it's a whole journey, but they weren't together. They were in totally different states. Like (laughs) she didn't even know he was the father. She thought it was somebody else. I'll say that. So I found his family first because of ancestry.com. And by the time I found his family, like he had already passed. So he had ended up um, killing himself. He ended up killing his wife first. He shot his wife and then shot himself. And I think I was 15 at the time when this happened, um, but I didn't find them until just a few years ago. So one of the things that was really interesting and that's connecting right now is one of the things I had attracted through like since I was like 12 was boyfriends that would threaten their lives when we would break up. So this was like a relationship fear and pattern and wounding, um, especially because I always took the role as like the caregiver the provider um, in most of my relationships as a teenager, especially. And I would have um, these boys and men with bipolar and depression and all of these things, anxiety. So there were multiple times that I had partners like threaten their lives. So this was a big fear. Like that's a big fear. But I hadn't seen that that was actually like in my DNA as well. Like this was something energetically that I was connected to. So when Troy and I broke up that time after... um, Right after my grandmother passed, it was like, or right before, we broke up right before my grandmother passed. And when he went off to the vacation, I texted him when he was leaving and I didn't hear from him for four hours. And I went into existential panic, like multidimensional crisis. Like I was like, oh my God, he killed himself. And I just went there. Like it just like everything shattered around me, like massive, like it was psychedelic. Like the fear took over like psychedelic. And I had to face that fear. I had to face that feel fear head on. And like, that's like a no joke fear, right? And like really feel in all of my body that fear. And at this time too, there were other things I was working on in my own personal journey. And one of the big things was feeling all my feelings all the way through, which I talked about in the last podcast episode. Like, I think this is the key to life, to life as women is feel your feelings all the way through. So I'd been committed to this practice very recently, like to a new level. Like we'll say I was two months into this new level of really uncovering these subconscious fears that I've been carrying and committed to feeling my subconscious fears all the way through. So it didn't look like it at the time, but logically I knew that it was a subconscious fear just showing up, but I was really, really in it. And I committed to really going into the energy and allowing myself to feel like the the reality or like the illusion that this could be a reality. And through that itself was a massive rite of passage into my own personal power and releasing a fear that was gripping me for decades, for decades, because I had never allowed myself to feel it. I always tried to intellectualize my way out of it or like, you know, whatever. I never allowed myself to fully feel that fear. So like with Troy, it's like, we may have broken up a few times, but it was like, it was always him. Like I knew it was always him on some level. And I think what's really interesting is like, I dated a lot of people and I would always be looking for the signs. Like, is this my person? Is this him? Like, is this like, you know, looking for confirmation. So with him, what was unique was when we got together If I would like look for those signs, I was like, I was so exhausted doing that. But what I could feel was there was no energy telling me no. And that was the difference. So the difference with Troy was that there was an absence of something telling me no. It wasn't like a yes, divine, like, oh, he's the one. It was like the absence of... The absence of the the no. It was the absence of the something in my body saying no. 
Now, this was really present even with, so this is the other, this was my big ego death story. And this is more conceptual, like this is more like ideological. So I had come to the point where I had journeyed through different relationship styles throughout the years and I knew conscious monogamy was like the thing, not only for me, but I deeply believe like all humans desire that. It just depends on like where we are in our like self-trust and self-intimacy if we're actually willing to be that vulnerable and open with another person. So I was carrying a belief that every person desires to be consciously monogamous. And when him and I met on our first date, which was Easter, Good Friday, technically two years ago, um, he had told me like day two, we spent the weekend together. He told me day two that he was non-monogamous or he didn't believe in monogamy and that monogamy was a construct created at the time of like the development of agriculture. So women could be possessed and, and like all these things, right? Like all of the things <laughs> he had his reasons. <laughs> so he didn't believe in, um, and he was also, so he was a virgin until marriage because he was a good Christian boy. Um, so he was divorced and like left the church and left his marriage and all the things he was actually separated from the church by the time he got married, but him and his wife left the church kind of at the same time. So he had already been married and divorced and he had already gone through his own, like really big, um, soul reclamation coming out of a lifelong depression portal that was actually, he healed. I don't want to say, well, how do I want to say this? He got his life back because of a journey with psilocybin in Jamaica that he had like six years before we met. And because of that life experience, I knew we could be compatible. I knew that if he had the experience where plant medicines gave him his life back, then we could meet on, on a spiritual level. Like <laughs> it would be there like that. It was there. So when he told me that he was non-monogamous and he didn't believe in monogamy, I never had a desire to change him. I just didn't feel concerned about it. Like, I really was like, he'll get to know me and like, it'll be like, he'll, he'll want to be with me. He won't want to share me. Like, that's like, I didn't feel worried. I didn't feel threatened about it. I felt like his reasons for not believing in monogamy were so like wobbly, like unstable. Like it didn't feel like something I need to fix or change. It felt like something that um, I, in my body, it just felt like this isn't real. Like this isn't a th threat. Like this is like just something that he's, his ego was moving through. Right. So when we broke up the first time I was celibate when I met him, um, I had, I had met you right before I took my second vow of celibacy. And that's what drew me to you as I had just done this big post on celibacy. And somehow we used like the same picture on our Instagram and it was, it was like the wildest coincidence. Um, so yeah, we both use the same, um, Yoni nature photo of like a dripping rose. And I used that to talk about my celibacy, my celibacy journey and you used it. I don't even remember what it was, but I was like, okay, this is weird. So I had committed to nine months of celibacy. And when I met Troy, I was six months in. So him and I had no sex for the first three months that we were dating, which is like, I highly recommend this for every, everyone, everyone. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation. So by the time we first had sex, the shadow of this was there was so much pressure on that day, which was my birthday. So it started September 11th and it went till June 11th, my birthday. So when we had sex the first time in that weekend, we were, we were away in Maine and on the way home from that weekend, he had like this massive commitment phobic breakdown and everything started shattering. So we started like our first breakup right after we had sex for the first time. So I was like pissed. Obviously I was pissed. Um, so there was ways that this was like a little turbulent and it's like, we settled into some place, but we ended up breaking up right before a trip that we had planned to meet my biological mom for the first time. So there's like a lot of weight on all of these events. So that was in August. 
the way we ended up getting back together. So we did this trip not together. We did this trip as like best friends and it was amazing. And it was like, I'm so glad he came with me. There's no way I could have done that trip by myself. I'm so glad Vicky, my mom got to meet him. It was like, it all worked out perfectly. But come September, a part of me had to start questioning because we'd spent like we had this beautiful like month long road trip together. So I was like, all right, I got to look at this. Like if I love him so much, what is the part of me that's attached to monogamy? Like what what is the part of my ego that's hung up on this? Like maybe there's something I have to hear from him. Like maybe there's something here. And that was the whole thing was he never felt like he got a chance to even express his desires because I was like, no, monogamy, no, monogamy. It was always shut down instantly. So that September, I, we had the conversation. And I was like, tell me about non-monogamy. Like, what is this to you? Like, what does that mean to you? Why do you want this? So the way that he explained it, which makes total sense is, and I agree to an extent, was that humans are always going to be attracted to other humans. Sure. For him, he didn't want that attraction to provoke any shame. He didn't want that attraction to provoke any guilt. He didn't want to feel bad that that attraction was there. And he also didn't want to feel like he was trapped or obligated to not have the choice to pursue or to engage in something that and somebody who could expand him in attraction and love, et cetera. So I hear this and I hear like, this is a man who just desires freedom. I get this. I get this. I desire freedom too, but I could see the roots of where this was coming from. So I asked him, I was like, so if we were non-monogamous, like, what would that look like? What would that look like in our relationship? How would that look to you? And he said, if someone came up and say his path that he was attracted to, he would bring it back to have conversation with me and we would discuss like how how that person could play a role if if he could like have a date with her for him it was more about sex than it was about like emotional connection um and just not being limited with that and i was like okay so you're saying that you would come back and then you would talk to me and my feelings would matter in that conversation he's like yes absolutely like i wouldn't do anything that would hurt you it's like okay this is interesting so things started to expand through my definition because we can get so hooked on these labels even though i did a ton of work of deconstructing like monogamy indoctrinated monogamy and coming to my own understanding of what monogamy meant to me um with a great book called designer relationships that i recommend for everybody but coming to this and hearing his perspective it brought me to a place of being like, like, why can't I have that conversation with him? Like, why do I need to control the relationship that I can't allow him where I believe that people are going to be attractive? Like, I believe that that attraction point is going to happen and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no fear, guilt or shame. So the one thing he asked of me is he was like, I just wouldn't want it to be an automatic no. I wouldn't want it to be like a game where you say you're okay with talking about it and you just like default say no all the time. Like I, I want it to be something you really consider. And if you really could not be okay with it, like that's what we would choose because it would be about us. So going through that whole process was a massive ego death for me, massive ego death for me. So that's when we got back together. Nothing ever happened. Um, like he never would, he never even had the desire to be with another person. But by the time we broke up after my grandmother passed and got back together, he was like, no, I'm monogamous with you. I don't want anyone else. I don't want you with anyone else. Like there's no one else for me. Like I see it. Like you are my person. I desire monogamy. And the same thing with spirituality. It's like all of my like, rituals and spiritual conversations like he suddenly just opened up to receive that part of me and that energy so 
And I think it's a combination. I think it's the way that I relate to myself and the way that I don't play small with myself and the way that I unapologetically don't abandon myself reflects directly in the way that he comes to me. But I was attached to this idea of monogamy and that attachment needed to go. The attachment needed to go so it could be in a place of pure desire without like, no, this is the way, these are the rules, but actually coming from a place of like open desire. Yeah. Yeah, that was a really powerful and beautiful share. Thank you. And I'm I'm actually really happy that you tapped into this subject because I, I feel like it, it is coming up more for people, um, like how to navigate, you know, the sexual desire to want to experiment. And I, I do very much feel like it's super important for both men and women to, to dive into the experimentation, right? Because similar to other experiences both you and I have had it within the relationship. It's like often we need to completely fall into one direction, have the full, the fullness of that experience to then, you know, from promiscuity to celibacy to then rebalance it and allow those values that we honor within ourselves to strengthen. Um, and of course, also to see the seasons, not just within a relationship or the way that we explore relationships, but also seasons of who we are, as in you're not going to be in your 20s forever. <laughs> mm -hmm. There comes a moment, and whether it's the initiation, the rite of passage of becoming parents um, or not, there has to be that recognition like, oh, there is a shift happening or you are approaching a shift. And there is that rite of passage waiting, whether you end up having babies or not. I, I do feel like there is a moment either by choice or by circumstance that requires us to recognize, oh, this one season of my life is coming to an end. I can feel some kind of preparation and I now need to change certain ways in the ways that I'm approaching love perhaps or approaching the relationship you're in. Like very often I see these people lingering almost in like the difficulty, like the, uh, I don't know how to put it. I personally, I would say they are addicted to the struggle Yep. Um, of like, oh, we trigger each other and we're together because we need to learn and heal together. But if that becomes the main focus, I would say you're stuck in a particular season where some spiritual warrior has to prove that you're able to overcome in order to get the gratification or the satisfaction or the ease. When actually when you are able to move through some level of ego death and be willing to face aspects of yourself that are really not easy to face, you enter a state of maturity that will allow you to simply enter a state of ease. Like it's something I talk about very much in Dare to Love. It's like, no, no, no. If you're in an, yet another relationship where you have to analyze this and process that and I don't know what, without really that sense of like, there's groundness, there's support. I feel safe to move through difficulties in the way that you're, you've, talked about your journey with Troy, then it's like, no, step away, have a greater perspective, see in what way you can actually take responsibility, step up in your maturity and see if you're being met. Because I'm not saying, oh, just dump the first person that is triggering all your buttons, because sometimes in the beginning that definitely has to happen. But that rite of passage or that approaching of the rite of passage means I'm willing to go there. I'm willing to face my vulnerabilities and the things that I have somehow managed to protect from myself, like my own, my own shadows, right? And to see whether that person is ready and willing to meet you 
um, in that space. Yeah, I think the key for this is always going to be safety for me and my journey. And I feel like, you know, that habit, that cycle that you were speaking about, like that, that was very much my story. And when things would get challenging in relationships, like that's when all the red flags would come up and I'd have like all the signs to run and, you know, abandon ship. And I think the difference of what I've done on this journey with Troy is, I mean, it went to the extremes. We went to the extremes of breaking up multiple times, but there really wasn't anything that could have gotten in the way of us arriving to where we arrived to. And it took life to initiate us and to give us the exact experiences that we needed to embody that safety and embody that trust. But when that came together, it's like, you know, as soon as it clicked in, it was so clear every season that we went through and how it was just a season. And I feel like so many people, like you say, are stuck in that autumn of like the dismantling and coming back together that it's like you can't see beyond that there is this really sweet space where it's not that you're on the hamster wheel of cycling through struggle, but instead it gets to be the spiral and we do get to evolve into more deep peace, more deep trust, no arguments, like there's no space for arguments. Like it gets to be this place of just cultivating deeper intimacy and the blocks that we come up against are no different from the blocks that we just have between us and our own self-intimacy. Yeah, the safety. Rowan and I recorded a, a podcast recently, which we're, we also go into that topic um, a little bit, like in an indirect way. But the point I want to make now about safety is that I guess for women um, to also recognize like there are shit tests in the beginning, like there is a part of your subconscious that will poke and provoke this man to prove that um, he's capable of holding the ground or holding you or providing whatever it is that you need in whatever situation. Um, and I suppose that that is a good reminder for the woman no, to recognize like, sure, the feeling explosion that is happening that you feel the need to process and analyze and dive into is real and necessary. But I do feel like there comes a point where a decision can be made of like, how would I approach that situation where it's to arise again in the future in a different way? Because, you know, as much as I am full support of women also having an exploratory phase of sexuality, and I do believe there's an importance of navigating different relationships in order for us to understand what it is that we need or want, it also comes with the difficulty of having had our hearts broken or having had hopes and dreams be crushed. And it's very interesting because the journey is like, we want that freedom, now we have it. But the fact that we now need to go through, you know, these heroes' journeys in order to reach a place of more maturity and clarity of what it is that we desire actually means that we, because of those experiences, have the wisdom to move ahead with more courage and more trust and love. But what it often does, it creates barriers, right? Then it constructs the heart. And so in a way that does make it quite tricky. It's like, okay, you've you've reached a place where you've had enough. Like you no longer want to date just anyone. You don't want to, you know, need to go through all kinds of seasons in order to enter that space of like full readiness. Like often it's the energy of having had enough, what we talked about in our previous episode to reach that place and to recognize like, yeah, believe in the impossible, believe in a relationship that is beyond what 
you think you can imagine or what is really realistic. Because when I look at the nature of Ruan and I, I'm amazed. Like I've always been very romantic in the way that I stand in life. And I knew my person was there. Um, and when I look at you, you know, like, it's like, wow, so incredible to meet a man who's willing to go through these seasons to like enter a space in which you can really trust that although it's going to be hard at times, you are going to grow together. Yeah, I think if somebody would have given me the map of what my relationship with Troy would have looked like at the beginning, I don't know if I would have believed I had the energy to go through all that we went through because how many times we both died to be reborn, to become partners. And like you say, it's not about equal because we are different, but to to show up fully for both of us to become the version of self who has safety cultivated within ourselves first, within the relationship second, and having that foundation to actually be building on top of union. Like for me and my journey, that took that took a lot of extreme situations and that's also been my life. So it makes sense. So I want to also name that for people who have relationships that are like not conventional and you know, the most important piece of this is if we're honoring safety, because it has to, we have to feel safe for us to be creating anything worth creating. And that safety is only going to come if we're tuned into our own intuition. And I think like you were saying, when we test our partners in the beginning, <clears throat> like it comes from this place of really feeling into our intuition and it is, it is subconscious, but it gets to a point where I believe um, we get to just surrender. <laughs> We get to just surrender and we don't need to be testing all the time or intellectualizing all the time. We get to surrender and be in love and just be in love. Yeah, it's a very beautiful, mystical space that, you know, our generation is is navigating. And I can't even speak for the generations that come after us. I think they have their own problems. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, it's fascinating because like we want the experience, it creates a fragility, but you have to recognize that all, every single experience you've had is there to empower you to have you trust more in love, that all those heartbreaks were simply for you to have more self-respect, more honor, and to know what it is that you desire and then to trust in the impossibility. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, really beautiful. Thank you so much, Nikki, for being my number one guest. I mean, I think you're your tie with Ruan. <laughs> oh, I love this. I'm going to keep competing with him. <laughs> my, my masculine energy is going to step up. <laughs> yeah, but I think in the future, you know, we should create an event or something because yeah. I'm really feeling very strong, like, oof, soon I, I want to create a retreat again or something because it's the space I love the most. And with you, I think it's just going to be so easy. Yeah. So let's see. Let's yeah. see what the, the gods have in, in mind for us. But to end, I want to offer you the space to offer what it is you offer for mm. navigating the seasons within their relationship. Yeah, right now my work is my work will always be primarily focused on the one-on-one -on -one work. I love working with women intimately in these containers where we can um yeah, look at all the the sneaky little corners that we have happening and do like the deep, deep, deep soul work. 
So my work, yeah, I focus um, mostly with women. I haven't had a male client in quite some time. It used to be 50-50 and now I think it's like 95% women, of course. Um, But yeah, helping women tap into their personal power. um, Anything that has to do with money, sex and power is like right up my alley. All of these like eighth house and astrology aspects and working with women to really let go of the ways that we block ourselves or we trick ourselves into settling for less than what we're actually here to do. So come play with me on Instagram. Facebook is kind of where it's hot right now because I'm doing a 365 day Facebook live challenge. I'm on day 103 as of April 13th. Um, So it's a fun day to come and see what's on my mind, what's on my heart, what I'm playing with. And yeah, come hang out. Nikki Ananda across the board. I love you, sister. Thank you so much. much. Hey, thanks for tuning in. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, before you go, I have a quick announcement to make. This year, I'll be teaching Dare to Love again. So if you are fed up dating the wrong guys and you want to attract your soulmate, go to nalayachakana.com and check out the Dare to Love course. This will be the only opportunity to work with me before our next pregnancy. So knock on my door if you have any questions. I'd love to hear from you.